playing the ukulele badly because this podcast is self-produced weird stuff has happened in the past and here i am to tell you about it i guess yeah i will yeah absurd real history hello and welcome to absurd real history the podcast where i find weird stories from the past and find equally weird if not better people to tell them to this week, I'm really happy to be joined by actor Will Murphy. Hi, Will. Hello. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Slowly <laughs> getting out of lockdown. Uh, finally, People. Yeah, re- rediscovering <laughs> what it means to be a functioning human in society. Uh, what do you think we're going to be talking about today? I have no idea. Will it be cats? It won't be cats. It won't be cats. But it, it, is, it is very related to an, another one of your loves and passions. Video games? No, acting. Oh, even better, even better. <laughs> Will Murphy here is an actor. I am also an actor. Mm. We we met because he played my brother in a play years Storm ago. Sword Swords, I believe. Yeah. Yes, I actually found that script recently because I moved house. So going through all my old scripts. Oh no way! Yeah. Do you have all the uh, the notes? Yeah, all yeah. The notes that you put down. My favorite thing, my absolute favorite thing about any show. I can't be alone in this, but highlighting your lines. You know, when you get a script for the first time and you're just going through it. Nice crisp yellow highlighter and just. Yes. Going over all the words, uh, assuming that that will just like imprint the words via osmosis into your brain somehow. I'm glad you said yellow. Yellow is absolutely the the peak highlighter (laughs) that you can choose. Blue is too dark. You can't see it properly. Mm. Green? Green yeah. looks gross, mm, yeah. I think. It just looks gross. It's just like, nah, it's too gross. Similar with orange. Orange is like, it's just too gross. Yellow is bright. You see it. Uh, hot pink, you know, I am. I will go for a hot pink at a push, but. Yeah. It's got, it's yellow or hot pink. I, yellow would be my first choice. Um, At a pinch, I will use hot pink. Um, If you come at me with a blue highlighter, though. <laughs> Get out, get out of my sight. <laughs> we are going to be talking about a very famous and very scandalous actor oh. uh, who would not have had highlighters because uh, there was no highlighters back in this day. We are talking about Edmund Keane. Have you ever heard Edmund of Edmund Keane? Have you ever heard of him? I have not heard of him. You've never heard Tell me more. of Edmund Keane? Like one oh. of the greatest, oldest celebrities, well, oldest celebrities. Basically the most famous but also most scandalous actors of like regal England of like the early 19th century of like the early 1800s okay Uh, there's a really good book that I listen to on audiobook which makes it kind of hard when like doing research for podcasts when it's in an audiobook to like go back and find notes when I'm writing the things there's like oh all the spellings are wrong because I've just listened to how it's how it's done oh god no but there's fantastic fantastic historian Greg Jenner and he wrote a book called Dead Famous and he kind of made Edmund Keane kind of like the so like semi-star of this book he talked about other celebrities too i've talked about two two podcast episodes that i've done in the past were inspired from this book so Mm -hmm. if you are interested in just the history of celebrities and i think people think celebrity is a relatively new phenomena but it's not you know there have been celebrities for a while so edmund keen his life should be a movie and knowing hollywood if they do make it into a movie it will be like uh 
you know, the greatest show thing where they just completely lie about facts. Oh, they add like a needless musical numbers into uh, into yeah. a story. And like the thing with Edmund Keane is that his success story is so unlikely. It really is just luck. But also he was very talented, but it was a very much a case of just right place, right time. And he also like had a pretty terrible childhood that there is kind of a sense of, yes, you've overcome all this. But then, you know, he was also like a, a raging alcoholic, you know, that would oh go on to terrible. That could be used to describe so many actors nowadays, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terrible raging alcoholics cheating on their eyes. But terrible childhoods. Yeah. yeah you name it. <laughs> he has some great, um, great stories, though. So Edmund Keane, born in March 1789 in London, in a little in England, you may have heard of it. I believe so, yes. Yeah. His mother was a, a failed teenage actor turned sex worker and a young Edmund Keane Sr., so his father, uh, demonstrated himself to death a couple of years a- um, after his birth. Uh, mm. Defenstrate is when you throw yourself out a window or to throw someone out a window. And you very rarely... What? You very rarely get... That's like yeah. the hardest way to commit suicide. Yeah, you very rarely use that word, so... I, I loved that I got to put slip that into creating it. I mean, Definitely. suicide isn't God. funny. And, you know, obviously there wasn't a lot of money. He was very young when Edmund Keane was born. So, uh, and had a, his own like mental health issues. But I am great. I am grateful that I got to use Defenstrate correctly. <laughs> yeah, that's, my God, that's Defenstrate, a horrific Not Defenstrate, Defenstrate. Of- Oh, Defenstrate. Defenstrate. Yeah, that is a horrific way of killing yourself. Yeah. And his mom, Anne Carrie, who was, as I said, kind of like a failed actress. She was mostly absent from his life, but he would occa- she would occasionally drift kind of in and out. And there would be periods where she was involved, particularly periods mm. when he was doing well in his acting career. So he was predominantly son, give me give me some of these roles for your for your old mother would you yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at you making money like i'm gonna help you and be your agent and yeah mm. so she was essentially you know an, an absent mother and so it was mainly under the care of miss charlotte tisdale and his uncle who looked after him and they were like active members of the theater so he was mm. essentially raised on the stage doing a lot of smaller parts in like chorus like chorus things and um, I think he played like a cherub in like Midsummer's or something like that or like you know a background goblin actor in like Macbeth and all this all that uh, kind of stuff probably a tree or a shrub in another one have you ever done those like uh what's it like Christmas nativity plays where <laughs> there's obviously too many people in the class for the roles and like one or two kids who are maybe not as talented are kind of fobbed off with the really rubbishy roles like oh yeah you get to play sheep number three or bush man i hate that i remember in my secondary school we had a really good drama teacher like as in you, mm. you know those schools where they're like the drama teacher just really just does things properly shout out kathy davis there <laughs> but the one of the music teachers decides to do a musical one year and our school didn't do musicals very often we did musical like once every five years because that was the music teachers department yeah and you know a very talented musician very talented all this stuff but knew nothing about putting on a show so you know it was kind of like we're doing a show and then there was auditions and then it kind of became a place case of oh everyone who auditioned gets to be in the show 
It's like <laughs> that's not at all how it no. works. <laughs> and it's like you're dealing with teenagers. It's a school. They can like if you're just honest with them, you can just be like, "Oh, you didn't get a part." It's like, "Oh, that's a bit sad, yeah. but that's fine." So yeah, he was kind of involved with stuff like that. The thing with Edmund Keane is he's very he's a very weird looking, intense man. Like he was very very short. He had some sort of like when he was a kid, like his legs were kind of deformed. Like he'd still walk in a way, but in a way that kept him very short and small. And he had really oh. intense, like beady black eyes. And because of his small stature, was like pushed into juggling and gymnastics but he really wanted to do Shakespeare he wanted to do Shakespeare actor and he had a very big sense of grandiose of like I am a should be a proper tragedian Shakespeare actor and kind of became it almost sounds like a cross between Danny DeVito and Steve Buscemi yeah like uh, Greg Jenner who became obsessed with him who wrote that book he does describe him as being like a weird Steve Buscemi in terms of like looks if you can like imagine yeah imagine that uh, dark hair but- yeah he l- deluded himself in believing that his like aunt like charlotte tisdale was his real mother and he him being like the bastard love child of a nobleman being like i i'm not actually the you know the son of these two young nobodies i am secretly mm. the son of a nobleman which is something a lot of people with, you know, narcissistic tendencies yeah. tend to. <laughs> Illusions of grandeur. They're kind of like bigging themselves up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Um, so we would kind of have brief fame now and then. I think he was, he, he got some kind of brief fame being like Fleance in Macbeth. Yes. Um, because he, because of his short stature, you know, he could pass for being a lot younger than he actually was so i think he was like 14 when he was playing france and this was like a period when his mom was in his life and like passed him off as like actually being like much younger but just like a kid shakespeare genius that's that's so that's so sad when you get when you can get like it happens nowadays with like certain actors and it's like they're they're kind of like you know 40 40 and older but they're still claiming they can like play 20 something year olds and it's just like can you i mean great if you think you can but like you i i don't think 20 year olds have that hairline that you do oh oh my god have you seen the trailer for dear evan hansen no i haven't do you know dear evan hansen at all oh god i've i think i've heard about it being mentioned once or twice on social media but i don't think i've trailer or heard or read anything about it it's a musical. I listened to the soundtrack and going to be honest, has some really great songs. And I'm not a huge musical person, but there's some really great songs in there. Um, and then I looked up the plot on Wikipedia and it's a really weird plot that I don't know. I can like, I, I don't support the storyline of it. Of you know, Sincerely Me is a song in it that is actually just a banging song. But... My point being is they made a movie of it and they released the trailer recently. And it's so funny because they have Ben Platt, who is an amazing musical theater and also actor. Do you know Ben Platt? He's been in. Oh, God, I'm the worst person to remember names. If you show me their face, I'd probably immediately be able to say whether I've seen them in something or not. He was in the original Dear Evan Hansen on stage. Which, you know, the original musical, it released a few years ago. And you also know, on stage, you can get away with older people playing younger people. Yeah. You know, you suspend your disbelief 
for the theater. Yeah, you absolutely. know, you can have twenty year olds playing twelve year olds on the stage. And mm. um, but what I think is so funny because Ben Platt was the original, like as in, if you listen to the OST of Dear Evan Hansen on Spotify, it's like Ben Platt's voice. He was like the original main character and won loads of awards for it. Fantastic performer. But they cast him in the movie and he's like 27 years old, just clearly a 27 year old man having to play like an awkward 15, 16 year old guy. (sighs) And because he is such a good actor, he has like the characteristics and like the mannerisms and they like flooped up his hair. But you're just like, you're a 27 year old grown man. Like you're not people watching the film wondering is like, is this like on purpose that this mid 20 something year old is going to high school with these teenagers or what? Uh, It's meant to be a really realistic kind of portrayal of like teenage awkwardness and finding your place in the world and like mental health issues. And they're just genuinely think this 27 year old man is going to passing. I think this is why people have such a skewed perception of, uh, age and appearance because you've so many 20 something year olds playing teenagers who, go, who still go to school for some reason and that's why everyone thinks i'm a teenager um so what i've started doing is just like slipping in things that i've done in my, la- my life and you can just kind of see people doing like the mental maths in their head because i'm like oh yeah when i was doing my masters or when i did this or when i did this or and they're thinking in their head they're like how can how old can you be if my god She's a really gifted 12-year-old. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Edmund Keane married Mary Chambers, an Irish woman hailing from Waterford. My God, Mary Chambers. I also have no idea who that is, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, she's... Well, she she's not like a huge celebrity, you know what I mean? She's just a woman who unfortunately married an alcoholic. They married like quite young. Uh, they pair. They had like a whirlwind courtship and became kind of. In- it was kind of like this really intense. Like ah, and they got married on the seventeenth of July, eighteen oh eight. Was she also she, an actress or? She was much to much to the disappointment of her parents. Uh, was it a thing where they kind of like were playing a romantic couple in a play, and then it was just like after the play, and it was like, well, that was kind of fun. Maybe we should do this for real. I don't know the details, but I just know that she, she was eight years older than him, um, that she was really clever. She came from a good education. And so like marrying this wandering actor mm. and joining the theater, like definitely crushed her parents' hopes <laughs> of like, but you were an educated, you could have married a lord and da 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 da. that century's like, version of rebelling against your parents. Exactly. Exactly. It's like coming from a series of accountants. I, I, you know what? I, I feel for Mary. It's like you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm gonna join the theater. Um. Although their marriage was a very much an unhappy one, and I really feel for for Mary for marrying this. You know, they're married, and they would kind of have these mad. They would be just be wandering around, gig to gig, struggling actors, mm. basically, basically being struggling actors in the 1800s. If you think it's hard now, well. <laughs> Christ, I can't even imagine how difficult that must be. <laughs> At least I have, uh, you know, electricity and the internet to mm. help, you know, uh, search for jobs. In June 1809, so like a year after they got married, Mary was like seven months pregnant with their first child. And um, they had no money uh, because Edmund owed a lot of debt for like drinking or like gigs and stuff. 
And Edmund and his wife, Mary, walked 180 miles from Birmingham to Swansea on foot, sleeping in hedges, sleeping in hedges for an acting gig. So Edmund can do his acting gig. Sleeping in hedges and like bushes along the way took like like two weeks. Bear in mind again, she was seven months pregnant, like starving, begging on the streets. 180 miles. 180 miles. In the heat of summer as well. Oh, God. I mean, I think we we always take it for granted, like, uh, well, before the pandemic, when uh, auditions were a lot more plentiful, I suppose. (laughs) Oftentimes you'd hear of like actors going down to Cork on a day trip just for a hope of doing an audition. But like you said, that journey took two weeks on Mm -hmm. foot. And she was seven months like, pregnant had, and it was June, so it was summer like. Surely they would have had to have like saved up money for for a trip like that, wouldn't they? Like well, probably not if they were sleeping rough, but I mean, what would they have done for food? They were close to starving at a lot of periods. They were begging for food, like Oh my god. Yep, 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 yep. And like whatever money he would get to pay off debts or pay for transportation, he would spend on alcohol. Oh wow. Like if this was a movie, you know, this trip would be like the big you know walking two weeks on foot like with a pregnant wife by the time they got to Swansea that would have been his big break that's how the movie you would all yeah you would be expecting it's like yeah. oh and they're finally gonna make it so that's that's what the movie would be but like in reality they struggled for a good five years after that it got worse and worse and worse he would be dragging his th- his family across the UK and Ireland for various like acting jobs getting very little to to show for it and they were Often forced into begging, they were close to starvation a lot of the times, and you know. I mean, I was about to ask, like, was he was he in any way a decent actor, or? So here's the thing with Edmund Keane is that he knew Shakespeare inside and out. He is described as being one of the greatest Shakespeare actors of all time. Right. And at this time, I guess even still, he is not what you would think of as a leading man. You know. More of a character actor, I suppose. Well, that wasn't really as much of a thing back then. Like back then for like, like theater actors were tall and handsome. Hmm. He was like short and weird looking with really intense eyes, but knew these plays inside out, grew up on the stage. Like he knew Shakespeare. Like that's the thing. He was a very good like actor. Right. You know? Poor Mary was, we know that she was miserable from like letters that she would send to people. (laughs) I can't imagine why she would be miserable. One of her letters to a friend ended with, and I quote, Oh, you know not half of what I am suffering. That poor, poor woman. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Being dragged 180 miles while seven months pregnant. Yeah. So by all accounts, horribly upsetting. Yeah. They would have two sons together, Howard, who was born in 1809, the one that she was heavily pregnant with when they were walking around, and Charles, who was born in 1811, who actually went on to be a distinguished actor himself. I guess if you're coming from a family of actors, it it makes sense. So, like, Keane, he landed some big roles every now and again, often quite drunk, but it didn't matter if he was drunk or not on stage. He knew these Shakespearean plays inside out. And luck struck it. And on one of his better nights, he was seen by basically a talent scout from Drury Lane Theatre, which was one of like the big prominent theatres mm-hmm. in London at the time. The head, Samuel Arland, went to see Keane on one of his better nights, agreed that there's something about him. 
Like, as in his style of acting was kind of new. And as said, he was kind of weird looking, mm-hmm. but it could just be, you know, what the theater needed to. Yeah, something new. I suppose. Something new. And the thing is, is that they were actually in financial debt because there was a fire recently. So they need they needed money. And also there was another theater that was like taking their audience audiences. We're just taking a little cat break. My cat has wandered into the well was meowing outside and both me and Will love cats. So special guest appearance by Troy, one of Sersha's amazing <laughs> Maine Coon cats. Here you go. I'm just going to lift him up and show you. He's... I, I, I never get sick and tired of seeing your cats like. My God! I know. Sometimes I'm like, do I post too much cat stuff on Instagram? And then no, I'm like, no, you don't post enough. Like, will appreciate it. <laughs> oh, he's so fluffy. I'm recording. Maybe I can see if I can give him a little meow. Ooh, that'd be great if I could get his purr because this is a good mic. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I can hear it. Yeah, that's. Uh, the the last time uh, the last thing you were talking about was how a talent scout yeah uh, spotted yeah, him. But I know, yeah. So basically, it, a lot of it was the Drury Lane Theater being like, "We need something to pull people in." This is like just grasping straws, you know. When you're like a failing business, you're kind of like, "Okay, well, what can we like? What gimmick can we have?" And maybe this really intense, like weird looking guy. Like very weird looking man. Well, no, like I I can't can't deny the fact that with Shakespeare he was a like a genius, you know, and he knew it inside out. Unfortunately, so you you know, you think this would be like, oh, he got his big break, the Drury Lane Theatre want him, but he had just signed a contract with another theater, which like wasn't as big a theater. But, you know, he'd signed the contract. Um, I think it was like the Olympics or the Olympics or something like that. So, you know, the Drury Lane Theatre and the Olympics Theatre oh. spent two weeks negotiating like, OK, how are we going to make this work? You know, we like Drury Lane Theatre, like we want him. But he signed this contract. We don't want to just let him go. Yeah. Was was he aware that he was kind of like, oh, this is actually a much better deal. Is there any way I can get out of this like lesser contract or something? Oh, 100%, but it's kind of more, it was up for the two theaters to decide mm. themselves. It's kind of like that whole thing of two buses coming at once. You know, he's waiting for his big break. He gets one big break, signed a contract to work with a the theater right. that like would have been a good, it's a good contract with the theater, but it's not as big as like Drury Lane Theater. Drury. So nothing was happening before. And now I get two job offers and I wouldn't agree to it this one, if not, if not this one. So the two theaters spent about two weeks duking it out. And during this time, their eldest son, Howard, who would have been about four, mm-hmm. um, was very sickly. He had like measles and stuff and he passed away. So both parents were devastated, obviously. So you have Edmund Keane and oh, his God. wife and his wife, my wife, Mary, waiting for two weeks to find out what the theater is going to what the theater is going to do. do. Does Edmund Keane have a job? And then they have their eldest son, die and during this time Edmund would like lurk around the the theater like the Drury Lane theater and all the other actors were like who is this weird creepy man like he would wear like a weird cape like who is this weird creepy man was he trying to be in disguise they were like mocked him and that fueled him he was like I am what are you talking about I belong here I am a great Shakespearean actor and they're just basically like the pretty pretty actors being like oh, oh the the uppity yeah ones, exactly like. the uppity ones but he was very much like a man 
he's very much a man of the people. Eventually, an agreement was made and the Drury Lane Theatre would subsidise the Olympics' lost earnings, which and which meant giving Keane less money. So Keane got less money and mm. the rest of the money went to them to like compensate for him not doing his contract. Um, but it didn't really matter. Keane was just delighted to finally have his big break performing in a, cl- in a proper theatre, a big theatre with classic Shakespeare plays. Um, although there wasn't a big audiences, as I said before, it was just kind of more of a panic hunt. But it worked. Uh, by 1814, he was essentially an overnight celebrity. And again, he lucked out again because when he was in the theatre, one of the nights there wasn't a lot of people in the audience, but there was two really well-known like uh, theatre critics and they just gave him a, right. a rave review and, you know, after a week, there was, like, buzz around the town, people seeing him. And after a month, he was, like, proper superstar celebrity. You know, people were clamoring to see Edmund Keane perform Shakespeare. Because, as I said, he really was a fantastic actor. And they were kind of intrigued oh by God, him. Amazing. You know, this weird, like, really intense man. He was particularly good at doing villains. So the role that he really shined, that he loved the most, it was Shylock. Oh, Merchant of Venice. Yeah, nice. Merchant of Venice is actually one of those Shakespeare plays that I've never read and never seen. It's really good, actually. I mean... I've heard mixed things. I, I, It was one of the first Shakespeare plays I read because I had to study it for the Leaving Cert uh, in secondary school. We were in Macbeth, so... Ooh, Macbeth is another good one as well. But Macbeth um, and Romeo and Juliet was my junior and leaving cert. Okay, Merchant of Venice in itself is kind of it's changed almost because like back when Shakespeare it's changed, man. <laughs> well, it's sort of changed. Sort of the it's meaning. It's not the OG Merchant of Venice. <laughs> Five hundred year old theater hipsters are there in the corner, just going <laughs> like, "Oh, it's much better back in my day." <laughs> Edmund Kuhn performed this the way it should have been. Well. Back when William Shakespeare was making or when was writing The Merchant of Venice. Uh, Me boy, Willie Shakes, yeah, you mean? Billy, Billy Shakes, as, as I like to call him. <laughs> Anti-Semitism was unfortunately the norm. Mm. So Shylock was a much unsympathetic villain. Whilst nowadays he's seen as much more sympathetic because it's like we are well aware of how uh, anti-Semitic people were back then. And also the fact that mm. really the only reason people seem to dislike Shylock in the play is just because he happens to be Jewish. Yeah. I mean, I know this doesn't have anything to do with anything whatsoever, but it kind of reminds me of High School Musical. I want to point out a movie that I only watched once and that I didn't like. That's okay. I won't judge you. (laughs) But recently I saw a big thing going around, like Sharpay, like Ashley Tisdale is like the main villain of the movie. And um, there's been like loads of people are saying like, She's not the villain, you know? She's the one who's been working tirelessly to make the theatre department what it is and, like, you know, deserves, you know, the work and she practices loads and, like, um, just, like, just attitudes of change, you know, making her, Mm. you know, more sympathetic. And that happens a lot in media. Which is one thing that's quite interesting about plays and art, I think, is characters become their own characters. So, you know people are written with the intention of not being liked, but the audiences are going to to like them or not like them for different reasons. And that, yeah, it's similar with like Friends. Oh yeah, how, how people are seeing uh, like Ross as just yeah. like, not a nice person. <laughs> One thing I will say about Friends is 
I think the time that it was released, it wasn't problematic for the time that it was released. And it was actually quite progressive and not as bad as a lot of other comedies. I do think it has aged, but I don't think it's aged as badly as a lot of other shows around that time. Yeah. So so Shylock was written as a villain, um, but, but you're saying he's more sympathetic now. Yeah. So yeah, Shylock was like one of the first of the like the big parts that he played that really made him successful because you as I said he knew these Shakespeare plays inside out and the villains he was particularly good at and a character like Shylock he just crushed it he crushed it you know so he became very rich very quickly due to essentially overnight fame one thing that I think was hilarious about Edmund Keane is he would frequently speak uh, Greek and Latin or like sprinkle Greek and Latin into conversations. Just like casually dropping Latin phrases. Yeah, and that's something that people would do. And he, because of his newfound fame, he got really posh friends like Lord Byron and like all these kind of big theater people of the time having these fancy dinner parties. And he would give these speeches in um, Latin and Greek in these dead languages. Uh, but the- he didn't speak them he couldn't speak latin or greek but the funny thing is the people that he would be giving these speeches to did speak latin and greek because like it's not just like oh i am being like it's not just like if i were to just pretend to speak french to you it'd be a bit funny if i was just like not really speaking french but you don't you're not a you're not a french as french but you're not an expert in french so you wouldn't notice no no i'm not a native french speaker but he was doing this with people that actually spoke these languages did nobody, did nobody say anything when was he was he, giving these speeches or it was a case of like, oh, this is hilarious. He thinks he can speak Latin. He was famous for essentially just disappearing. So he would quite frequently be at these like fancy dinner parties with the, these posh guys and be given a speech in like Greek or Latin, as I said, dead language that he didn't mm. speak at all. So just be nonsense. And like halfway through, he'd kind of start noticing that like, oh, this isn't really working. And then just leave and go to the pub. So he would frequently just like disappear and like he would frequently go missing and then be found like two or three days later would, would passed he be out like, in a pub. Would he would he do this like mid speech where it's just like, uh oh, yeah. I'm kind of dying up here and he would just stop mid sentence and just leave the room. I think so, yeah. Ballsy move. Yeah. But not just like the room, like plays or he would never like frequently before a show, it'd be like ten you know, you're an actor, you know. Yeah. Explain explain to my uh, non-actor losers that listen to the podcast, <laughs> like the general protocol before show. So like you are in a run of a play. Oh, yeah. The play starts at seven. What time are you at the theater and what, what are you doing before that? I mean, there's there usually have to be there an hour before the show actually starts. You have your call time and God help you if you are late for your call time. You better have like very very good excuse as to why you are late there's that expression on time is late and early is on time so yeah you do not want to uh be late for your call time and leave your actors high and dry because i've been in a situation where we have been waiting on an actor who just does not turn up and it is the most stressful thing ever like it's it's unbelievably stressful (laughs) So that would frequently be Edmund Keane. It'd be like 15 minutes before our curtain's up and everyone's like, where is the lead actor? Usually in the pub or, and they'd have to like go to the taverns and like pull him up on stage a lot of the time. And this got like, his alcoholism got worse and worse and worse. I guess, you know, he was an alcoholic, it was a disease. He was also just not a good person 
as well. And would people still hire him knowing that he would be like like cutting it very close uh, in terms of being a no-show to his own performance? He was a superstar. Everyone wanted to see him. He was famous. He, you know? But this kind of behavior is why before he became a celebrity, like, like there's, like, he shouldn't have become famous because he was, do, like, one of the, like, big stories that kind of gives you an idea of his character, and this was before he became famous, was he was meant to be playing Charles II, but he never showed up. So the theater manager had to, like, take his place, reading the lines off on stage as well. Oh, God. So, like, obviously he's not going to be doing a good job. Yeah. You know, he didn't rehearse the play. He's just reading it. So people in the audience just started like booing him. And then you hear a voice from like one of the royal boxes, like cheering him on, being like, you're doing great. And it was Edmund Keane drunk. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and then over time went back to, to booing. Over time went back to booing. <laughs> what a bastard. He's uh, like, joy- exactly. I'm in this situation because you are not here on stage. Like, don't boo me. <laughs> like on one stage, you're just kind of like, that is so terrible. But then on the other hand, you're kind of like, that's kind of like a baller move though. That is a very sick power move. Obviously, what had happened was he was drinking in a pub beforehand and in his complete drunken state was like, I need to be at the theater, but couldn't remember why and kind of just ended up in the stalls. Wow, this play is really shit. Also, why do I know all of this specific character's lines? Yeah, he was also like really, really petty. You know, he was very much like, I am the best Shakespeare actor in the world. And again, he was very good at Shakespeare, but you know, raging alcoholic, you can't be doing stuff like Bit that. Bit of an asshole. Yeah. So his main group of friends were his drinking buddies. He was part of like a drinking group called the Wolves or something like that. And he became extremely petty and vengeful. So these were his drinking buddies. So he would get them to, and him included, to like basically go to see plays of like bad like actors that had wronged him or like mm. stage managers that fired him or like basically people in the theater industry that did him wrong would go to these shows with his drinking buddies drunk to just boo at them and be oh like God. he was horribly petty i don't think i've ever been to a show where where the audience has started booing midway through a performance have you not quite booing but i do remember when i was in college so we went to see a play and, you know, it wasn't a good play. Yeah. And I want to I wanna say right off the bat, I was good. I was not part of this. But a lot of people in the older year, and I think, you know, college students, I think there were sneaky naggins in the audience, were like, the play was horrible and we're co- kind of being quite vocal about how, how horrible oh, the play was. No. Especially, like, in the interval, like, many people left halfway through. So much so that, like, the people that had, like, worked on the play actually, like, complained to my college DIT about, like, oh. how we were. And uh, everyone who had attended that show had to have, like, a, a meeting with the Susie, oh, you know, that's the head of, like, DIT. I was not one of these people. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, my anxiety yeah. is too bad for me to ever do I, anything. I think like I that. would be just, like, too polite to boo. Like, I would... I would obviously not enjoy the play, but I'm not going to be, you know, booing. That's just really rude. It wasn't like booing. It was just more like laughing at how bad the play was and laughing at bits you shouldn't be laughing at. Uh... It wasn't like straight up booing, but it was pretty bad. And I remember like our teacher saying to us, look, it's going to happen. You're going to see bad shows. So what you and you can tell people, people ask for your honest critique for a show. This stuck with me. They're like, people ask for your honest critique after a show. You just give 
don't do it right away. If you didn't like a show, talk, say that you didn't like it a week after mm. or say that you didn't like it to people that weren't involved in the show. So, so then, so everyone's like, but what are you meant to say then? It's like, you say, congratulations. <laughs> a show was put that on. That was a play. You put on a show. So that's like stuck in my head. That's like one of the worst things. So now I'm like, if someone says like, if I do something, I'm like, how was that? It's like, congratulations. Well done. You put on a show. A show was made. You stood on stage. It was certainly a theater production. There was definitely acting happening. Of a fashion. Or you wouldn't even add that in, I suppose. But, yeah, but that's so petty. Like, this is just to give you an idea of his character. Just like getting his drinking buddies to be like, oh, this director fired me because I was late and drunk all the time. Or this actor, he hated being outshown. So he insisted on being, he hated actors being better than him on mm. stage. A fan was like talking to him afterwards, basically being like, you were so good at, after you played Othello, being like, you were so good at Othello. This is a quote he said, I really thought you would have choked Diago, Mr. Keane. You seemed so tremendously in earnest. Just basically being like, you know, you were performing so well. Yeah. I was genuinely afraid. And Keane replied, like looked at him in amazement and answers, in earnest, I should think so. Hang the fellow. He was trying to keep me out of focus. So he was so angry at the actor for, you know, possibly outshining him as Iago. And upstaging him. He wanted to nearly kill him in the performance. Yeah, that his anger wasn't like his anger as like Othello. It was his anger as like an uppity act. And they're always men. They're always these male actors that are like, oh, do the best. Once to cover up for a missing performance. So basically he did a show and then afterwards went to a pub and passed out and was missing for two days. So couldn't do another show the next day. The theater lied and told people that he had dislocated his shoulder mm. to basically like cover their tracks and be like, no, the reason you didn't get to see this play, like imagine that happened now. It's like, oh no, the reason you didn't see this play in like the Abbey is because the main character, oh, they broke their arm. It's like everyone knew he was an alcoholic. It's kind of like just potluck if you got to see him perform or not. Were the audience even aware of this? I think the audience kind of knew. They gave him a sling cover their tracks even though his his, his shoulder was yeah. his, his shoulder was fine it was just to like look good for the theater and five day, days later when he was playing Shylock Shylock is considered one of his best roles a role that he did quite frequently mm. and that he could do inside out he was still wearing the sling to like you know convince people but most of the audience were not deceived they're like he had a reputation he very much had a reputation like last night he wore it on his right shoulder now he's wearing it on his left shoulder yeah. for some reason oh <laughs> It's like Robin Hood men in tights, you know, with the the mole that keeps moving around on the king's yeah. face. <laughs> yeah, and he was known as well. He would have a lot of like promiscuous scandals. Like I think at once, so he was coming out at the back of like a pretty but huge sex scandal, which were in all of the papers and kind of caused like mixed stuff. So during this, at like the height of his fame, he like decided to flee to America. Be like, okay, let's see if I can get rid of this. Because he would do like, you know, he's mm -hmm. famous enough to do like American tours. And he was almost killed by a mob of his own fans in Boston. And this was in 1825. And that's because... <laughs> How? <laughs> well, the last time he did an American tour, his first American tour four years prior in 1821, he had angered the crowd because he refused to go on because he believed there wasn't enough people in the audience. Oh, that's... uh, Yeah... That's that's not a thing that, that anybody should do. <laughs> I don't care how yeah, famous you are. No. So obviously the audience was livid and they told him like never to come back. You're paying money to see this specific actor on stage and they refuse to come out because 
not enough people are in the audience. And you know that. I would be, be yeah. very annoyed. Yeah, and you know that being if in the I audience. If I paid money to see him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, I paid big money to see this superstar celebrity and he just he just does not come out. Yeah. Um, and he thought he could escape the, the sex scandal as well, but it was in the newspapers. So even in New York, he went to New York first and they like chucked some fruit at him. But that's like, fi- that was fine, you know? When he was performing in Boston, shortly after the show began, like a mob of like 5,000 people tried to like kill him. For what? They like stor- they like stormed the theater. Um, he escapes uh, by hiding in like a theater employee's house. Right. But apparently the mob tracked him down, but like the theater worker's wife was like heavily pregnant and kind of calmed them down. And the mob were like, okay, maybe we shouldn't was, kill him. Was this, was this the same uh, group of people who were angry because he wouldn't come out on stage? The, the 5,000 people? Well, see, that's people? the thing. That was the last time he had performed in Boston and they were so mad at him for doing that. So then he comes back to perform again. I mean, 5,000 people is like, that's a sizable group. Like, how? He, I told you, he was one of the most famous people. Like, he's the most famous theater actor at the time. One of them, anyway. This is like, I don't know, I can't think of famous people, but like, peak celebrity. Oh my God. Because like 5,000 people, that's a large group. And he was complaining that the group wasn't big enough. Well, I don't know how many people were at the start. Because a lot of them were, re- it could have been like, people could have heard that, you know, like, what are you doing coming back after this? Would you believe after that, though, uh, he still carried on the tour? Oh, God. I mean... He's very, uh, he's very inconsistent work ethic. <laughs> like on the one hand, he's just getting drunk, not turning up to nights that he's performing. And then on the other hand, despite the fact he's getting chased by a group of 5,000 rioters wanting to kill him, he's just like, I oh, know, yeah, I'll keep this uh, tour going. Like very, very inconsistent man. Yeah. And again, a lot of his tours were met with like protests um but then one of them went great apparently so it's a bit of a mixed bag i this is my favorite story my favorite edmund Keane story is when he was doing his canadian tour he got very drunk and disappeared for like a few days as as par for the course pretty much at this stage of his career and they found him they found him in a wigwam um and had just been living with a few native americans and he became like an honorary member of the huron tribe in like the Erica area and then he would wear a lot of the gear like the headgear and stuff back in london afterwards oh he just disappeared and joined a native american tribe (laughs) were the native americans even like welcoming or were they just like oh yeah look he's he's just this weirdo he's they made him they made him an honorary member and like gave him like the headdress and the gear. They must have loved him. But I just think that's gas. Like that's such a I'm beginning to think like or beginning to wonder whether or not you know you know those people who are like you always they're always really fun drunks. But if you're hanging around them and like you're sober and they're sober, they're just like the most insufferable type of person to hang around with. Yeah, yeah, but that's what I'm saying with Edmund Keane is like, you love him, but you also hate him. Like, you gotta, you gotta love him, but you also gotta be like, you are a terrible human being. I just, I, I just ima- imagine being this guy's like age, oh, just like, he, he just went missing and just showed up. Yeah, part of an Native American tribe. He also apparently had like a pet lion back in London as well. I couldn't find that much information about pet- that. But he, oh my God. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, famous. Yeah, yeah. He would just kind of, 
disappear who basically just like get bored of things and then go off and get drunk right. and then appear like just surrounded by all his drinking buddies like two days later and like oh the show will be about to start and people will be like where's Edmund and everyone will be like search the tavern so like the stage managers will be like searching like the local bars frantically for him so the year leading up to his death in 1833 the drink had turned him into a complete bubbling mess so he was almost always drunk on stage, but it was kind of like a drunk that he could handle, you know, the oh, alcohol. like a functioning alcoholic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there were times where he would just get blackout drunk and disappear, but it became a kind of thing. Like, so for his like last year performing, he could hardly stand for most performances. Uh, even Shy, I've mentioned Shylock a lot, but that was like his, you know, his like go-to you yeah, know. that's his like uh, his um, notable or almost trademark. Yeah, I was yeah. saying I was saying before he was a re- he was a genius when it comes to Shakespeare, and he did know these plays and these characters inside out. That it didn't even matter if he was drunk, he knew them well. Whereas it got to a stage where it did matter that he was drunk because he could barely stand. Just had to be like propped up by. Uh... Yeah. Well by whatever prop it was there like oh tonight i think shylock should have a walking stick if nothing else but to lean upon <laughs> well when he was playing richard the third which again wasn't would have been a really easy role for him because it was one that he did younger it's similar to like shylock it was one that he did a lot that he should have known he would use his sword as a walking stick for like the majority of the play <laughs> that's really bad for the sword <laughs> yeah his last appearance on stage was at Covent Garden on the 15th of March, 1833, um, when he was playing Othello. And this, I think, is kind of sweet. His son was playing Iago, because I told you his son went Aww. on to be an actor as well. At the words, villain be sure, in scene three of act three, Edmund Keane broke down crying and in a faltering voice said, oh God, I am dying. Speak to them, Charles. And then passed out. He died shortly afterwards in Surrey. Uh, his last words allegedly being, and I say allegedly because this is one of those things where you know dying words people sometimes like say so. You, yeah, they're if, almost like a little bit too uh, rehearsed or poetic, or you can probably tell that a lot of them have been edited. Yeah, else. yeah. So like someone said, this is, but it is an alleged thing. But apparently, um, dying is easy, comedy is hard. That's what. Because I've heard that saying before. And yeah, that's attributed that, to him. That's where, yeah, apparently. Huh. Uh, so he's buried at St. Matthias's Churchyard, Friar Style Road in England at Surrey. And he was age 44. And that 44, is wow. everything I have on Edmund Keane. What do you think? I suppose he'd be kind of like the Pete Darcy of the, uh, the acting world back then. It's just mad because you don't think of madcap celebrities like we know them now yeah like you think yeah. of people back then as being like incredibly reserved and professional almost like very stuffy stuffy to a fault where it's just like completely no nonsense humorless type of people are there any accounts of other actors who worked with him loads oh <laughs> um i'm sure but he he put it pissed off a lot of them i can't imagine not a lot of actors would have enjoyed working with him I don't really dig dig up too much. Um, yeah, that's the thing. I think, you know, he was very petty. He didn't like actors that were better than him. And 
insisted on being the lead role. As, as I told you, you know, if you, that ha- sense of grandiose to not even mm. walk on stage. Yeah, there you go. And that that's everything. That's Edmund Keane, a great Shakespearean actor that you probably never heard of. And I will say, if you are interested in just the history of celebrities in general, that book by Greg Jenner, Dead Famous, is really good. And it's really funny as well. Like he, he writes it really well. So... Um, Dead famous. I'll have to add that to my reading list. Yeah, or I got the audiobook and he reads it himself. I will say if you are interested in this type of stuff, that is a really good person to look towards. And that book's really new as well. It only came out in 2020. So it's a a new, new book. And so yeah, thank you so much, Will, for coming on. Oh no, thank you for having me. Do you have anything you want to plug or let people know where they can find you? Uh, well, unfortunately, I have nothing really to plug. Um, slowly getting used to society as things kind of reopen up. Nothing really is in the pipeline yet. But if you would like to follow me and maybe see photos of my cat that I upload <laughs> to my Instagram, I can be found at Yuffrum, uh, which is Y-U-P-H-R-U-M. Awesome. And I, of course, have been Saoirse Cheney as always. And I also, as I... I say 80% of the time, forgot to say that at the start, but it's, you know, it's, it's on the picture of the podcast. I'm sure people know my name. And if at least 10 episodes in, you would, you would hope so. (laughs) Well, you know, you can listen to this out of order or, you know, I have no delusions of grandiosa. Um, so if, if you didn't know what my name was, now you do. Saoirse Shanae. And you can email me at absurdrealhistory at gmail.com just with any comments or anything about the show and all my socials are in the the boxy thing in the where you're listening to this it's different the thingy thingy. it's different depending on what app you're listening to i don't i don't know how it how it works you know sure spotify apple whatever just i you just click 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 the things um but it's saoirse ball on twitter and saoirse shanae um on instagram because of things that I can't change, but I'm gonna change my Twitter. I think to Sarah Shanae's. Um, you know, guys don't need to hear that. That there you go. Um, what's your favorite Shakespeare play? What's your favorite Shakespeare part? Actually, if for a Shakespeare, if someone could be like, okay, here you are, Will. I want you to be like the greatest Shakespeare because uh, Will's a very talented Shakespeare actor. So <laughs> I'm just Thank wondering, you. like, what would be your dream Shakespeare role that you would love to do? Oh, uh, Iago, I think easily. Ooh, you'd be such a good Iago. I would love to. Like, I think that's, it's almost like the two cliched parts, I think, are either Hamlet or Iago, but villains are always kind of more fun to play. Fuck Hamlet. Iago's dot. <laughs> Fuck Hamlet. That's No, uh... like, oh, it's been, been, been I a mean, it's a good play, boy. but yeah. Yeah, no, no, yeah, but I. It, I... It's almost cliched at this point for actors going like, oh yes, I, I want to be Hamlet. Mm, I think, I think Hamlet has like, issues in itself um it's too long it is very long it's there doesn't yeah there doesn't need to be a ghost at the start of it um but yeah iago awesome he'd be great iago and he was he was a great iago edmund Keane was a great iago he played othello as well but he would switch like play both of them <laughs>